0: Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Banner Monday, where we begin the week the best way that we know how, and that is by talking IU and Big Ten basketball. So much going on in the world of IU and Big Ten basketball right now, uh, and we're going to talk about it all. Mike is going to be here. Ryan Phillips will be here for a mailbag, so a jam-packed edition. Uh, a couple quick housekeeping notes off the top. Coming up this week, Assembly Call Radio on Thursday night, and then, of course, the IU Notre Dame post-game show on Saturday as soon as that game ends. Remember to keep SeatGeek in mind for tickets, whether you're trying to get last-minute Christmas presents or pick up tickets for the rest of Indiana's games, both in the non-conference, big game against Arkansas coming up soon, uh, and then also for Big Ten play. Use the URL iutickets.shop. That'll take you right to the IU basketball page, and use that promo code ASSEMBLY to get $10 off. And then, of course, remember our friends at Home Field Apparel, uh, homefieldapparel.com. Use the promo code ASSEMBLY20 to get 20% off the most comfortable and unique IU apparel anywhere. All right. And with that said, I am now pleased to welcome in for his regular segment from the Big Ten Network, the Sporting News and Fox, one of the hardest working men in college hoops, the venerable Mike DeCoursey And Mike is joining us from his home studio. And since he's associated with the Big Ten and he's at home, we know that he's winning. <laughs> How you doing, Mike?
1: <laughs> I'm, do- I'm doing great, Jared. How are you?
0: I am doing very well. Doing very well. So... Since the last time we talked, Indiana blew out Florida State, got blown out by Wisconsin, won a tough, ugly game at UConn, and then barely squeaked by Wisconsin, a team that was not supposed to have a pulse but apparently does at home. So let me kind of phrase your Indiana discussion this way. Are you more optimistic or less optimistic about Indiana after the results of the last two weeks?
1: Well, I I think I'm more optimistic for accounting reasons because when we last spoke – they had played basically no high majors. And so therefore they had no high major wins. And now they've played three, four and have three. So more optimistic, but still confused about who they are or who they want to be. Uh, I, I, I like that they can be so many things. And I think when we talked uh, on the podcast that I, that I mentioned that I, I like the flexibility, the variability of what they can be. But I think the best teams figure out at least who is A, you know, who their A game is, who their B game is, and what they might want to change into because of a particular opponent. But if you start getting into five, six, seven different personalities, it becomes really hard to be good at any one of them. So you need to figure out who your five, not your five, but who your core is. And, you know, I think that Arch is very enthusiastic about the fact that he can play so many guys and play so many different ways. But usually when teams play a lot of guys, it's because they're running and pressing. And they're not doing that. And they're basically playing pack line and, and they're, you know, in their standard offense. And and so they're, it, they don't need 11 guys to play that way. And I'm not saying you can't play 11 like that, but, I mean – when you think about it, I mean, on Friday night when they, when they struggled so much and they had to go to overtime, I mean, Justin Smith only left the court for five minutes in the whole game. So that says something. I mean, that says that even though you got 11 guys sitting around, you got a couple that you got to have on the floor. And if you don't have them on the floor, then you don't feel comfortable. Well, that's a start. But I still think you need to develop a, an identity of what you want to be at your best. This is who we want to be. This is what you practice to get to be. And I haven't really seen yet what they want that to be. And I think part of that, part of the reason we haven't seen that is cuz they can't get five guys to play consistently on defense together. And and so that that becomes okay, then what well, we what we got to do some other things so that we can be good enough to win this game.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, that's a huge issue, because Archie Miller clearly wants a program defined by defense, and right now the defense is very much a weak link, as we saw against Nebraska. We all hope that getting Rob Finnessy back will help to shore up some of the perimeter defense issues, but it's, the, the problems seem to run deeper than just one guy. And that really leads into my next question, which is that Nebraska really seemed to show a formula that is going to be difficult for Indiana to contend with, which is to spread out the floor on offense, pack the paint on defense. How would you expect or would you suggest Archie Miller try to adjust, given the personnel that he has, as the scouting report starts to become more standard for this Indiana group?
1: Well, I would start by saying that spread out the floor on defense should not, on offense, the, the opposing team spreading out the floor on offense should not be a problem for this Indiana team. There's no reason in the world why Al Dorham struggled as much against the bounce as he did on Friday night. He's he's too dynamic as a player, and, and he and he certainly got solid length. So there's no reason why he shouldn't be able to guard a dribbler, but he really struggled with it. Rob is supposed to be a very good on-ball defender. When you when you have when you're going against a perimeter that has three guys that can bounce it, you're only as good. Your defense is only as good as the weakest guy against the bounce. I mean, it's really that simple. Uh, when Kentucky played last year. In the elite eight, and they were going against Arb- Auburn's two great guards. Every, whoever they switched Tyler Hero on to went went off, and Ashton Hagen's wasn't great, but he was fine. And so the the guy who Hero would would defend would go score ten points in a row, and then they'd move him onto the other guy, and that guy would score ten points in a row. And so that. You know, you, you've, if Rob is an improvement in what you have against the ball, that's good. But if you have a team like Nebraska that's willing to let any of its three perimeter guys drive it, then all three guys have to be able to stand up the ball. And the help has to be good. And there are a lot of different factors, especially when you're playing a defense designed to be tight. And that's where the, the post comes back to, to, into play. Joey Bronk is so skilled as an offensive player. And he's got very good feet. But defensively, his positioning is inconsistent. And he gets, he gets the team into trouble sometimes with that. Uh, and he, became, he proved himself so valuable on offense, especially in the second half against UConn. But at other times in the Nebraska game as well, he did some really nice things. But if Joey were standing up defensively and playing good position defense, and playing good uh, ball screen defense to a lesser extent. Uh, those things are things that you, then you can keep him in the game and get everything he has to give you. But right now, that's problematic. Ron's not really an answer there either. And so they, they, they continue to look for somebody or, or to get, try to get the guys that they really want to play those minutes to handle the interior. Again, you don't have to necessarily be this elite shot blocker, but you, but you have to play good position defense so that the guy inside isn't getting easy touches and then being able to roll into either hand to score.
0: What about on the other end, offensively for Indiana? Obviously, getting to the free throw line, crashing the offensive glass, the two-point field goal percentage has all been good, but especially in these Big Ten games, Indiana's really struggled from the outside. How, yes. how do you see that as we go forward this year?
1: Well, I think, you know, first of all, it, it, it's, it's good that they're getting good shots. I mean, I, I think that a lot of the shots that they've missed have been quality shots. I think there have been some, you know, we talked again on the podcast about certain circumstances in which guys hunted shots. And and that I think that it, that because there's so many guys that are rolling through the lineup, sometimes guys start to think, Well, I've been out here for three minutes and I'm probably about due for to hit the bench, so uh, maybe I had to get one up here before I go, and and I'm not saying that's exactly what motivates Indiana's guys at at the times when they take subpar shots, but that's that that is a tendency in some circumstances. So you have to. It's sure. probably
0: what I'd be thinking if I was
1: a player. <laughs> <I> mean, <you laughs> yes, <know>? yes. <laughs> uh, that, but you can't you can't have that, and and so there were, you know like I said there was one or two there were one or two instances, of, particularly in the UConn game. Where I saw guys that were chasing shots, and, and that, this team can't ever have that happen because again, most of the time you've got five guys on the floor who can put the ball in the basket from somewhere. And some teams are going to have maybe three. Uh, that you know, every, you, you don't ever want the other guy to make anything to take anything other than you're wide open underneath. The ball falls into your hands, then you can put it back. Otherwise, make sure that somebody else gets it there that's college basketball there's a lot of teams out there like that there are not too many rotations where indiana says that to any of its guys because if you're if they're taking shots from the right place after the right offensive action second side third side uh wide open no you know no no close out uh obviously something that's that that opens clear in the lane. I mean, although all those circumstances, there isn't anybody on this team. You'd say, don't take that shot. So I, what, what they have to become is more consistent in terms of their execution. And I think that comes back to Rob being a full-time player. I think he's got to start. I think he has to enter the starting lineup so that you can start to get the ball flowing in the direction that you want. I love Devante. I love Al. Neither one of those guys is a point guard. They can play it, but they're not. I mean, it's one thing to be able to take the ball because Fennessey uh, uh, is in foul trouble. Uh, and, okay, so we got to trust you for this time. But, but that's not who they are, and so they don't open the game necessarily with a, with a full understanding of how to get the offense to where it needs to be. They, both of those guys are where it needs to be in certain circumstances. So you got to get Rob into the starting lineup and let him do his deal. And and I think that to an extent, what we see over the next couple of weeks will give them that occasion. Now, I mean, somewhat that depends on what kind of fight Notre Dame puts up. You know, how much of a, how much of an opportunity that is for them to to get better, and how much of an opportunity is like the Nebraska game was. Let's just get this one in the books, man. Get it on. Get it as a W and move on. That all depends on how how sharp Notre Dame is. They've had games where. Where they were awful and games where they were really good, and so you know obviously it's your job to make them look bad. Yep.
0: Let's talk about the Big Ten. Start out with power rankings. Do we want to? Do you want to just go Michigan State first? Twelve teams tied for second, and then Northwestern, or?
1: do you- <laughs> I thought maybe we could just make them all. Yeah, make them all since they're all basically the same team, home and road. You know? Yeah. No kidding. Uh, I, it, Ohio State is number one. Although you know it's funny because <laughs> I heard so many people. You know, and I, of course, I you know, I don't talk about the polls, so it wasn't me. I can swear to that. But so many of my colleagues in the media, Ohio State has to be number one on, on Monday morning you know, or Monday afternoon. They have to be number one. It'd be ridiculous to keep KU and jump them up just because they were number two. No one remembered that no one on the road, no one wins on the road in the Big Ten, man. Right now, it doesn't happen. Literally. Yes, it does not. It's amazing. It's an amazing stat. Uh, because you know, I mean, I, I didn't, like ha- this, that was my first occasion to see Nebraska, and I was going to check the Clemson, excuse me, the Creighton game out, um, and you know they didn't give me a reason, as 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 everyone knows, uh, and so then so that this became my first chance to really get a good look at them, and they certainly don't have enough guys, but the guys they have aren't bad, and because of the way they played in that game, uh, it worked because they they they. I, I don't know if that was the way they had designed it up all year, but all those ISOs they did, it worked really well for them. And they played good team basketball and they made it hard to play against them. And then, of course, they carried that into the home Purdue game as well. Uh, you, so, so you're looking at, got, at other than Nebraska, all the teams had, you looked at them and said, well, I like that guy and I like that guy. And, He's a good player, and then you, you watch some play some Northwestern kicking the heck out of Providence. You thought, well, at their absolute best they could be a threat, uh, but that every single team at home has won and every single team on the road has lost is astonishing because remember that's pretty much everybody except like you said Michigan State's only one who hasn't been on the road so far so that's everybody one to 13.
0: do you let me ask you a question about do you think that there is something unique going on about that? Or is this just kind of noisy data in a small sample size at the beginning of a long season? Like, are we going to look back on this and it's just like, oh, yeah, you know, that was crazy, but it normalized. Or is there something unique about this?
1: It's always been harder to win on the road in the Big Ten than most conferences because most of the time the the crowds are great. I mean, there are places you can go. Boston College, when's the last time they had a great crowd? I mean, that, that, that's... You know, Florida State, a terrific program that often has not drawn well. Now, obviously, when they get Duke in there, I mean, they they, they fill it up. But often, not, not that tough to play against. And now the team is. They, they're terrific. And they may derive great confidence from playing at home. But the crowd doesn't make it the issue. And there are other places around the country in major conferences where that's the case. But that's not the case really almost anywhere in the Big. Big 10 has always been, it's been the attendance leader in college basketball for like 25, 28 years, probably pretty much however, however long they've been counting.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: You go on the road in the big 10. And first of all, you know, you know, you know, you're in for it with the crowd. And, and I think also, like I said, I mean, like Minnesota last night, I mean, I love Gabe Kalcher as a player. I love Daniel Latour. Marcus Carr has really given them something. they got, five guys that anybody would be happy to have on their team. Now, may they may not be one to five on everybody's team, but they could, all those guys can play. So, I, so you get them in an environment where they're confident and excited and, and all, a couple of shots drop and the other couple of the other guy shots don't. And all of a sudden things start to go their way. So I, I think by the time we get to the end of this season, it will have normalized. I mean, there, Ohio state's going to be the, Ohio State and Maryland and Michigan, Michigan State and Indiana and whoever, you know, if Purdue straightens their deal out. I mean, every, they're all going to be up toward the top. And then there's certain teams that are going to be down toward the bottom. Uh, and, you know, and then the fight is going to be, you know, trying to be eight, trying to be seven, because those that's, that's what somewhere in there, that line will be drawn and below you won't make it. So uh, I, I think that we'll see it normalize in terms of, uh, of overall records. But I do think that uh, it, it always has been difficult to win on the road in this league, and I don't see that changing this year.
0: From these first two games of the Big Ten season, what players or teams really stood out the most to you?
1: Well, I think the, the first thing that I would say is that I think Caleb Wesson's had some really impressive performances. Georgie Bishanisvili. I, I, some of the stuff that they did with the high low with, uh, with him and Kofi Coburn, uh, really impressive. Georgie had two of the best plays I've seen all year. One was a ridiculous dunk and I would never have known. I mean, I've watched him play like for a year and a half now. I had no idea he had hops like that. I mean, he was like, he was like Dom, or James Worthy. That's what he reminded me of when he, when he came in with the one hand. only difference was James did it with the right hand. It was an amazing dunk. And then a great play not long after that in the Michigan game where Io DeSumo came down the right side. He really likes that right-hand drive down the right side of the lane. But he got closed out, and I think – I'm trying to remember who it was. that I think it was Isaiah that came up and closed, and I tipped it, and it tipped high. It didn't go – You know, it wasn't a rejection. Li- liver's tipped it and it floated, and so it floats up and, it, and it's going to land about two feet short of the rim. And Georgie Gus comes flying in to grab it and and lays it in. And there was no reason in the world why he should have known to be there, except that he's Georgie. So love what he's doing and, and really have been impressed by that. And then Anthony Cowan. Uh, Anthony has been honestly, I, I always liked him as a player and thought he was a really. First rate Big Ten point guard. He's playing like an All American. And I don't think I ever thought he had that. Uh, he's just been so consistent. He's, he's really expanded his range while everyone else is struggling to shoot consistently from 21 and a half or whatever the distance is exactly now, 22. Um, they've changed it so many times. I used to know nineteen-nine. 9, like in, you know, that was like one of those things I remember like my birthday. And they've changed it so many times since that. Now I don't know the exact number anymore. <laughs> But, uh, you know, he's struck, he, others are struggling to shoot from there while he's out there shooting from 24 feet with ease and comfort. He's been terrific.
0: You mentioned earlier, um, you know, kind of this discussion about how Ohio state, you know, had to be number one. And we actually, we got a listener question for you about that from Patrick, who said he'd love to hear you discuss the nuances of how national media members perceive teams and then vote on a weekly basis for the top 25. Cause as he said last week, quite a few ranked teams lost, uh, which contributed to multiple bad losses for those ranked teams, um, and where they are in the ranking. So how, like, what, what is your perception of how, how that works?
1: Oh man. Uh, the, it's, it's such an interesting concept. I, I, first of all, I don't, I don't understand why anybody votes. It's so much, it's, it's, a, if you're doing it right, it's a lot of work and they don't pay you. Like if they paid you, it would make sense, right? Like if, even if You know, if they if they throw you three uh, a few bucks a week, you'd be like, okay, I'm into that. I mean, that's another way to make a buck. And I don't know how it's like 18, 20 weeks in the poll. You know, they buy a Christmas present or two, but they don't. They just want you to volunteer. So I think everybody that does it is nuts. (laughs) Second. But in terms of uh, how they do it, I think they try the ones who are conscientious. And I don't know what the number of that is. I think they try to 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 evaluate based on resume and what, what you've accomplished. And, you know, some of that is how little you've lost and some of that is how much you've won and some of it's who you beat and how you beat them and some of it's who you lost to and how you lost to them. Uh, but it's, you know, obviously, because everybody plays disparate schedules, it's hard to always measure that. It, it, it's, it's really difficult, especially early in the year. And, you know, the one I, I did the reason I know that it's too much work to not get paid for is that in the early nineties, I did it because it seemed like an honor. Uh, and I thought, I thought it was. And so I did it for a couple of years. And the first year, second year I did, it, um, I was the year that LaSalle had Lionel Simmons, uh, as a player of the year candidate. And they had, you know, they had like three, four pros on their team and they were rolling through their league. Now they were in the Metro Atlantic. Then it was better then than that it is now, but it still was the Metro Atlantic. It wasn't the Big Ten or the Big East, but they were a fabulous team. They were tremendous, and they were like twenty whatever in one. And it wasn't a year when there were a lot of great teams that were obviously uh, you know above everybody. I, maybe it was ninety one. I can't remember exactly, but but whatever that year was, I kept voting them number one every week, and so it would be like whoever was number one that was like You know, like 26, 20, 20, and six, or 25, and three, or whatever they were. And then there'd be LaSalle somewhere down around six or seventh, and that little one in parentheses. And that was me. And when they they had a reunion for the team, I wrote wrote a note to their SID and I said, I'm insulted. I'm not invited because I voted for you guys. I was one every week. But uh, it's, it's, it's frustrating because that kind of achievement, it's really hard to get people to pay attention to. Murray state two thousand and twelve, when they went undefeated all the way to like February twentieth or whatever, if you watched them play, you knew how good they were now were they better than Duke or whoever no but but they were they were twenty eight and one or twenty eight no excuse me, why can't you vote them number one just until they lose? Can't really because it would undignify the polls see that's that's the kind of thing and Gonzaga has superseded that because. Even though their league's not great, um, you know, they've proven it by like just in the last couple of weeks, they've gone out and beat Washington and and Arizona and somebody else and they play Carolina this week. And so they've played those kind of people. So for the most part, people don't hold it against them any longer for their schedule. But it's really hard for great, great teams. Wichita, a few years ago, when they went, 19, 2014, when they went all the way to the, to uh, to basically the tournament without losing it's hard for them to get the recognition they deserve and that frustrates me
0: last question for you mike um this may shock you to learn but indiana fans had very strong reactions to the nebraska game some were happy that indiana got the win some very upset with how indiana played despite getting the win lots of lots of strong reactions out there some more reasonable than others let's say And you know it's interesting following you on Twitter because you're a Steelers fan, and so I see you talking about the Steelers, which is actually a team that that you root for. So I've seen you going back and forth with Steelers fans on Twitter. And here's a question that I want to ask you, just from a, a philosophical standpoint about how you use social media. Do you think that it is useful for people with platforms like you know you have with you know obviously in sports and with Steelers and like we have with Indiana? Do you think it's useful to engage with and highlight the extreme or ill informed opinions on Twitter, or are we amplifying voices that don't deserve it and in the process kind of making the fan reaction, quote unquote, seem more extreme and unreasonable than it really is. Because I feel like sometimes those those minority voices on Twitter that are very angry, very loud, you kinda wanna like say like point out why they're being so ridiculous. But I sometimes wonder if it would be better to just ignore them altogether.
1: Well, I think that, I think if the problem with ignoring them, unless they're profane or whatever, or, or offensive or, you know, that sort of thing, the problem with ignoring, if they're just talking football in my case or talking hoops and, you know, and, and like, I wouldn't, unless uh, someone came, came to me um, in basketball, you know, for the most, now I, I will do some, but because I, I, you know, because the Steelers are something that I'm passionate about, um i I feel comfortable saying, you know this is a wrong approach, yeah. and in basketball, usually it's if somebody comes to me and brings like drops of a, a, a take on my doorstep that I think is inaccurate, that's usually when I'll respond. But I think the value in responding is that is that for the most part if there if there if someone puts something out on Twitter like the idea that uh, Duck Hodges threw, ha- was asked to throw too many passes on Sunday night, and, and that's the reason the Steelers lost. If somebody puts that out there, then somebody else might come, like, does a search on Duck Hodges and then sees, um, well, this guy thinks the same way I do, so I must be right. So if I come in and say, here's why you are wrong, <laughs> then there's a very good chance that they'll see that instead, and they'll be like, ooh, Matt, I never thought about it that way. So that's kind of why I feel like either, you know, on the things that I have some expertise on, and I do feel like I have expertise on the Steelers, not what Ed Bouchette from The Athletic has been covering them for 35 years, but more than a lot of people do. Or it's certainly in college basketball where I'm comfortable, you know, pointing out where people are, you know, engaging in collective group thing. And I think that, uh, one example of that would be the 2017 national championship game, where people were outraged because they were calling too many fouls. And my response to that common assertion was: Here's the thing: If they don't commit that many fouls, they won't call them. So don't foul. But that you know, people want let them play. Well, do you want them to break the rules as they play, or do you want all the rules as they're written? And therefore allow those who are playing fairly to succeed. So that's you know, that's that's an example of where I would chip in and say, this is why you're wrong. And so like Friday night, it was a frustrating game for Indiana. I totally get that, especially because what are some of the things i talked about before? The inability to handle those ISO dribbles, uh and and how much that damaged the uh the um Indiana defense. And then also um you know, after they had been damaged in that way for so many times, and there, here they are. They got a chance to close it out. They're up three. They tear, carry the ball, not carry it, but uh, uh, advance the ball over to the sideline. The clock hits three and a half, four seconds. They are inviting you to foul them. And no, we're we're just going to play it out. I can see where that would frustrate because that was the wrong choice. You should have fouled like because they began the possession with a lot of time, you know, if they chuck it at 12 and they make it, okay, you know, we're either going overtime or we got a shot to win this now. But when they, when they hold it and Nate and whatever else happened, but they brought the ball over to in front of their bench and, you know, and we're not in position to shoot yet. And there was three and a half, four seconds on the clock. They're inviting you to foul, and you don't file. That's a, that's a tactical mistake. I mean, I don't, I don't know what Arch's basic premise is on that because I haven't seen a lot of circumstances where they were leading by three. I mean, a year ago, they didn't have many leads uh, down the stretch. But I know his brother fouls on that every time because they got beat at, uh, at Xavier on one of those in the, um, in the NCAA tournament 2007. He yeah. had Greg Oden's team beat, and they didn't foul, and Ron Lewis put in a three from the top of the key. And they went, and they went home, and Indiana went to the championship game. So, I know, I know Sean files every time. I I was surprised that Arch doing a lot of the things that Sean does. Uh, wasn't in, and having worked with him for so long, wasn't in that camp, at least not in that circumstance.
0: We talked about that on the postgame show. It was actually surprising to see Archie at one point b- basically turn to the bench and ask, What are we going to do? as if they didn't have like the plan set. He mentioned in the postgame that that was their plan to foul and they just didn't get it communicated. So, okay. Well, that explains they, it. They have a plan yeah, for know, it, but it, they just didn't execute it.
1: Yeah. When you have 12 seconds left, you know, it is in that fuzzy gray area. And if you don't have a yeah. time or a stoppage, to communicate that it can be hard because again, you don't want to file at 12 because then you're free throwing back and forth. And soon enough, you don't even have a three point. lead. Yeah. But um, if you know, your guys should know going into a situation like that, that should be a, that should be a situation that they understand if it gets down to a certain figure. Now, Sean files even earlier than that. I'm not, that's where I kind of part with him. I'm a below five second guy. If you get below five and you're not in position to shoot, do it. He, I've seen him foul at six or seven. Uh, so that's a circumstance where I thought that I was really surprised that they didn't because it was su- it was such an open invitation when the ball was over by the right sideline. Yeah, and they didn't shoot it until they got it back up to the to the wing. So. That would be an example where, if you know, I could see where fans would get frustrated by that because once you got in overtime, and you hadn't played great, so very easily could have gone the opposite way. But once you win a game, you know, you try to learn from it. You try to use what you got, uh, use the mistakes you made. And like I said, I mean, Out Durham got to guard the dribble better. There's no reason in the world why you should be so e- you know why you should be so easily knocked off stride. And what I mean by that is one ball fake one you know, one step fake and you're like diving. I mean, really? I mean, you're that afraid of your interior defense that you got to, you, that you got to bounce back that far because the guy made one hard move to, to, to look like he was driving. And then he steps back into a shot. How many times are you going to let that happen? So those are the kinds of things that you learned from Friday night and fixed much better to learn from a win than from a loss. that's, that is a universal truth in sports.
0: Amen to that, Mike. We always appreciate your time and now we will part. And I think we're all rooting for Northwestern tonight, simply to see the most symmetrical (laughs) big 10 standings of all time. Everybody at one-and-one. I feel like that would just be the perfect way to enter the, the, you know, the, the big 10 season, just clean slate past them
1: (laughs) at their best. They're hard to play against. They, you know, it, they they don't defend great, but they can't, you know, and, and they don't shoot great, but they can run really good offense and they can get hot. So you never know.
0: Go do it, Northwestern. We're all behind you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Enjoy. Thanks, thanks,
0: Mike. We'll talk to you. T- no, no Banner Monday next week for Christmas. And then I think we'll do it the week after if you're available.
1: I will look forward to it, Jared. Thanks. Perfect.
0: Thanks, Mike. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to everybody. Mm. Okay, the great Mike DeCoursey. We always appreciate him coming on and joining us on Mondays. Great insight there on the Hoosiers. And let's now bring in Ryan Phillips for the mailbag. I know uh, he's got about 20 minutes with him, so we want to get right to it and get to some of these questions. A lot of good questions came in. And, you know, we had a little bit of breaking news happen today, which I'm sure that you all know by now. Uh, Indiana Athletic Director Fred Glass kind of surprised a lot of people by announcing that he is retiring as an athletic director um so ryan i guess let's start out before we get into the questions
2: what was your initial reaction to hearing the news about fred glass surprise i mean you know if he was announcing now that he'd be done at the end of the year you know end of the the, the school year um not the school semester uh that would have been interesting but he's he's out pretty quick and well he said he's staying on till the end of the year right Oh, he's staying
0: on to the end of the year. I thought he the, meant the end of the calendar year. No, the end of the bicentennial. So I think okay. it's going to be, it'll be until. Okay. Yeah, and that doesn't surprise
2: year. me as much. Uh, yeah. No, I, I had seen it actually tweeted twice that he was leaving at the end of the ca- year, meaning calendar year. And that's shocked uh-huh. the heck out of me. I don't think I, but that doesn't seem right because they would yeah, never. That was it. not
0: my understanding. Of yeah. It. That would not that conclusion
2: it, of academic
0: year. Yeah, okay. It's academic
2: year. Good. Cause I, I saw some people, I saw two people tweet out that it was he was done and leaving and you know, these are the kind of things where it's a, if it's really a retirement, they give you a long lead. You would say it if you were leaving in December, you'd say it in August, you know, give them a long lead time to search for a new athletic director, all that stuff. Uh, Look, I think Fred Glass has done some really good things uh, as the athletic director. I think he's done some, he's, he's fallen short in some areas. Um, He probably held on to, it felt like he held on to Tom green a little long. Um, I know they won the big 10 title, you know, sort of towards the end of Green's tenure, but it, it, it felt like that was falling apart for a long time. Um, I think that a lot of people were satisfied with the coaching search and finding Archie Miller, um, but it's also a situation where it feels like the basketball program hasn't advanced. What You know, it, it is everything you could possibly give to this basketball program being given with the facilities and all that. It seems that way. It doesn't seem like there are people are complaining about shortcomings in that area. Um, The football program has certainly advanced under his watch. Uh, It took a while, but it's finally looking like there's subtraction forward and there's been some investment there. Uh, Baseball program has certainly been outstanding under his watch uh, I think some of that credit goes to Rick Greenspan for getting the approval for the new stadium under his watch. I mean, a couple of these things, you know, you have to kind of kind of combine with other people because uh, Rick Greenspan. I know he has a lot of detractors uh, who look back at his tenure negatively, and I understand why. But he also brought in Terry Hepner, who was a positive for IU Athletics, uh, and he had he was the guy who got the agreement for all the new facilities, the the you know Cook Hall the, he, he actually got the board of trustees to sign off on a new basketball arena that never got built. He got them to sign off much to your
0: chagrin. (laughs) I know
2: he got them to sign off on finishing the, you know, enclosing the football stadium and, and building the new baseball softball complex, you know, those things, those are enormous investments. And I think that, that, um, Fred has run with those. I think that women's basketball program is in a lot better shape than when Fred showed up. Uh, soccer has continued to be a perennial, you know, national title contender, and they're going to get a new, uh, a renovation to the facility from what I understand. So, you know, there's a lot of positives in the IU athletics department. Uh, the problem is, is that the superstar program on campus still can't sort of get out of its own way. And we'll see it's early in the season. Maybe that's the kind of thing where in his swan song, we'll finally see this blossom. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that there's certainly, as with any athletic director, I think nationally, there's positives and negatives to take away. Nobody's perfect, um, and uh, yeah, I, I think that he's had a he can look back with pride on some things. Uh, the athletes' bill of rights, I think, was the right thing to do as well. I agree. Uh, something that that you know, not a lot of schools do, and I think that it's it's a credit to Indiana that they did it. So positives and negatives and uh we'll see who, he, who they bring in i mean it's the kind of thing where everybody thinks there's a better athletic director out there then you get that athletic director and you can judge you know it's it's everybody thinks there's somebody better out there and everybody thinks there's a better coach out there unless you're alabama football you all everyone thinks you know at least a few times a year well there's a better coach out there we
0: could go get alabama get. fans are probably thinking that right now well since they didn't you know they that. have
2: their doubts <laughs> after auburn but you know, it's it's the kind of thing where uh, we will see uh, what people think. I know there's people who look at glasses tenure negatively. People look at it positively. But I, I think that there certainly are positives and negatives to take away. Where do you stand
0: on it? Yeah, I, I think he did a really good job overall. I think it's, you know, I, I've had this conversation with some people that, you know, if you were going to grade him, it would be very difficult to give him higher than like a B plus simply because the basketball program is yeah. lagging. and that's The superstar an program on part.
2: campus is lagging. Yeah,
0: yeah. but... So many other things that he's done have really been good, you know, and, and I, I really like the priority that he made putting student-athletes first. I think, you know, the the sign that Agreed. he has on his door, Mike Miller tweeted it out, you know, etched into the glass. It said, the director of athletics can always be interrupted for a student-athlete. And I just think that, that ethos, I think, is a really good one. And, you know, and you don't branding... See a lot of it in no, and, and you know, branding the Indiana University Athletic Department as one that puts student athlete welfare first, you know, that I like I look at things differently now. I look at things as a parent so much more now and, and I look at some of the things that they've there done. There we go. I'm no, kidding. but but no, I'm, I'm, kidding, know, but I'm it's, kidding. It's like, you know, you think about that and it's like, well, I would really feel good about sending my kid yeah. to a place like Indiana because you know that there's not gonna be tolerance for athletes not being taken care of. Now, you know, in Let some ways, says,
2: Well, let me say something real quick about the the student athlete welfare. Um, You saw it this weekend in the Heisman Trophy speech where Joe Burrow talked about Ed Orgeron at LSU and how he puts the players first. And and when Ed Orgeron was at USC, it was the same thing. All of those players said, we want to play for him because he cares about us more than he cares about himself or his contract or any of that stuff. If you want an athletic department that appeals to kids... Make it about them, not about you, running them. Or you, I'm your coach. You know, you hear a lot yeah. of guys say that. Like it's a, it's it's not your t- like the basketball team at IU is not Archie Miller's team. It's those players' team. He's the one guiding it. And 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 you know, you could say that he's a team, almost like he's a teammate who's in charge. I mean, that that's really the way to look at it. And I always talk about people. Always talk about Bobby Knight's teams. Bobby Knight's this. Bobby, you know those teams were that belongs to those players but that's the I culture mean, of college sports I, where I coaches agree with are lionized you. and so. i agree and 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 you're right and it's the public it's the way the public views it but it shouldn't be the way it's viewed internally you know it should be about the athletes first and i i completely agree with you on that and i just thought and, and it to,
0: was to be clear ahead. it's not about coddling athletes no because no. you know i think having discipline as as a through line through your program and demanding excellence from them is the best way to make it a players program but it's making sure that their welfare as human beings is also taken care of at the same time and i think indiana has done that and so you know it it you know you could say you know the the quote unquote culture of compliance and and some of these other things has it maybe made it harder for indiana to build a winner in of certain course. sports where we know that you know you might need to get some things done yeah, it probably has, but I think that's something that most Indiana fans like, and it's a pillar that they want their sports programs to be built on. And I think Fred understood that, and I, you know, I applaud him for it. And I, I think in all of those ways, he did a really good job. And so I,
2: I agree. I think that that's that's a fair assessment. And and as I said, I was watching the Heisman Trophy ceremony, and just that struck me as that was the thing that the kid got emotional, got so emotional over was yeah. that his coach cared about him. And, and, and it wasn't just a Jersey number, you know, he like actually invested in his players and and that's the way you should set up your entire athletic program. And plenty of, there are a number of programs who do that, that, you know, that's the, yeah. and Indiana isn't the only one, but if you want to compete at the highest level, it's harder to do that. It's harder to treat players as people and not you know production numbers and things like that and and you have to keep that in mind
0: so now it'll be interesting to see you know can they find someone that can build upon those things that that fred glass did and you know also Get arena
2: built and...
0: <laughs> <laughs> interesting we'll have you know plenty more to talk about that obviously some names have been bandied about for potential replacements but sure. we'll uh we'll talk about that more as as that search moves on let's hit a
2: couple of. Ooh, these let's questions. talk about nebraska huh yeah.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, How you weren't on there.
2: that. That's right. You weren't on the postgame show. right? You wanna you wanna provide some thoughts? I did rewatch it and uh you know, I watched about the first half while we were driving down to the arena. Um I just had it on the car. And then watched the second half and overtime later. Uh yeah, a lot of ugliness. A lot of guys shooting shots they shouldn't shoot. Um I mean, Armand Franklin and Demizy Anderson and Justin Smith combined to go over nine from three point range. Um you know not exactly what i what i'd love to see justin smith shooting 27% from three point range he shouldn't be firing off shots like that arma franklin not a three point shooter yet. he's shooting 14% from three um Demizzi has hit some but he should also know that if he misses two he probably shouldn't shoot a third you know unless he's standing by himself wide open with no you know alone in the gym and if that's the case he should probably drive to the rim um but you know, I just thought it was that was what, what struck me the most was guys just taking really bad shots. Really bad shots. And shots that they know they shouldn't take when this... I mean, think about it this way. They were 5 of 25 from three and still shot 47.1% from the field. That should tell you something. You're better at shooting twos than you are at shooting threes. Go shoot a two or get fouled because they also shot 71% from the free throw line and made 27 of 38. Um, that's what it told me is I, I'm not, I'm not dogging those guys who played, but no, know, know your role, you know, and, and Armand Franklin's role is not to fire four, three pointers in a game. It just isn't, he's not there yet. I hope he gets there eventually, but he's not there yet. Um, yeah. So just, you know, I, am not trying to pick on him. He's just an example of, you know, the thinking process in the game for those guys. And I also thought, look on the positive side, Rob Finnessy looks like he's back and, and really finished strong. And, You know, if you get that out of him every game, this team's going to win more games than it's going to lose.
0: Yeah. And, you know, of course, the perception of that Nebraska game has changed some with the fact that they beat the pants off Purdue at home. You know, it certainly seems like that's Nebraska kind of came into that with everybody thinking, do they even have a pulse? And clearly they do. But, you know, a lot of. A lot of warts for Indiana to clean up. But as Mike by said, way, it's, it's good to learn those lessons in a win. And that's by the way,
2: well, also, when is Nebraska dumped in 12 three pointers in a game this season? Like, I, they they weren't shooting very well coming in. And did, is it me or does Hoiberg's team play a lot like Green's team did? That really high spread the yeah, floor, shoot a lot of threes, drive and kick. Like, yeah, that was basically like watching an Indiana Green team. It really was
0: and it absolutely was the perfect offense to run against our defense where it is right now with our yeah. inability to control the point of attack so it really yep. so it it's going to put a lot of things on film for Archie to teach this team with and now they've got a full week and you know you're sitting at 10 and 1 so even with all the issues that there have been you know still a really good start overall for Indiana now if they can you know get rob healthy and hopefully everybody else is healthy and you learn from it you know, obviously, still a lot of big opportunities uh, in front of this Indiana team. I missed...
2: Devontae played, only played 15 minutes. Did he get hurt?
0: Yeah, he... I <clears throat> I have not I been able been to tell... I know he's been hobbled coming in. I have not been able to tell if he if he had an Achilles issue before the game or if he hurt it during the game, but there's something going on with his Achilles. Okay. I've tried to talk to some people and I haven't gotten like any anything kind of definitive on how healthy he is, but... It's definitely a bit of a concern that's lingering. He's been in the back struggling of my mind. for a while. I know he's yes. been awful for a while. Yes, so. and I don't think, I don't think those struggles are just Devonte being Devonte because he hasn't quite looked right physically. No, some of it is, you know, because some of the shots he's taken and some of the decisions he's made hasn't been good. But that's I'll be very interested to see that. What's a you know what is his availability and what's his health like Saturday against Notre Dame?
2: I um, also saw insane. that uh, Joey Bronk had four led the team with four turnovers. I don't think I want to know. Do I? It's no, you don't. Okay,
0: you don't. Just leave it there. Yep. Leave <laughs> leave it there. Um, okay. So we someone mentioned in the chat why is the pack line not functional at IU, which leads us into one of the other questions that we got from Jack, which is sometimes I wonder if our team other than Rob really understands what in your face defense really is. Uh maybe Archie should show the guys films of the type of defense the seventy five, seventy six, and eighty one teams played. What do you think? Uh yeah. Type of I, well, I mean, I think if you if you put Quinn Buckner and Bobby Wilkerson at the top of this defense, it'd be awesome. <laughs> you know, yeah. like like so to this to this specific question, why is the pack line not functional? and it has been at times this team has played really, really good defense. Why is it struggling in particular this year? I think there's two reasons. One is inability, Indiana's inability at the point of attack. like Rob is a good on ball defender. Al Durham, God love him. It feels like he's playing defense on his heels a lot more this season than yep. what we've seen. and so he's you know, he's struggling to contain dribblers. Armand, I think, has potential to be a really good defender. He's just a little bit inconsistent now. And Devontae has been up and down, in part, I think, because some of the injuries he's dealt with, and in part because he's kind of an up and down player. And so, and then, you know, when you have guys like Demise and Jerome on the wings, they're trying and they're better, but they're still vulnerable. So when you have that on the perimeter,
2: stop the dribble. Is the it
0: just it puts you into constant rotation and the pack line like that is a fundamental principle. It's the first thing that has to happen in the pack line. And then the other thing is you've had some consistency inconsistency with your post guys. You know Joey Brunk is still kind of learning, and we've talked a lot about you know his issues issues with hedging. And Archie even talked about with Trace. You know he's got to be a guy who doesn't coast on defense. He's got to pay attention more to the details. You know, and he's still learning the system. So, I think those two issues are creating issues at the point of attack and then issues with help and rotations that other teams are just picking apart right now. And so, both of them are going to need to get fixed for this defense to kind of be the solid, cohesive unit that it needs to be. So, I, you know, the pack line itself can work. It's not like now the three point line is extended a little bit and the pack line is obsolete. Right no. now, our guys just aren't executing, there haven't really been any types of adjustments. And it's, you know, it's just something that's gonna have to get better. Individual players are gonna have to improve, and the coach may have to make some adjustments if they don't. That to me is where we're at with the defense.
2: No, yeah, I mean that's that's fair. I just think it's it's the inability to stop the dribble. And then, you know, the tenant of the pack line is that you have help off the dribble. Well, when you have help, but the guy is piercing the defense deeper than he should be, that leaves more room for the help to rotate to his guy and then more room for that help to rotate to his guy. And it's a cumulative domino effect. You've got to stop the ball, as you said, at the point of attack or at the at the crease where the, you know, where the offense wants to drive in.
0: Yeah. And, you know, that's saw someone here. You know, I have my doubts about the pack line. I do, too, but it's in this in this vein. I have doubts about the pack line. If you're going to run it, you've got to be committed to it. You've got to recruit to it, and you've got to build your program around it. Which means yeah. you need guys who can do all the things we just talked about in their skill set, and you need guys who stick around and are old. You know, this Indiana team still is working in a bunch of new players. Like we haven't reached that point where we've gotten old and and are going to stay old yet. And I feel like you need that for the pack line to be successful. That should it be I mean, like in that year three? That's a fair discussion. I think that's why we're all a little bit frustrated. But that's still why I'm not yet ready to just pin it on the type of defense. Our no, program still isn't ready to run it the right way, unfortunately, and there are different reasons for blame there. That's a different conversation, but if it comes just to the defense, you know, I think you got to at least be fair um, that any you got to get the right guys running. When run to.
2: correctly, works. Yes, any system when run correctly works. It's it's whether it's the motion offense, whether it's you know a zone defense, whatever. If you run it the right way, it can't be beat. That's why they made the system. it it, but the key is offense is going to try and find holes in your system and you have to outsmart the offense or just beat the offense straight up i mean that's that's the way it works you know everybody runs versions of the exact same thing it's about who runs it the best yeah and And to joel's point in the chat you know has
0: al ever guarded the other team's number one no the pack line is not going to work if al durham is is your lead defender out front it doesn't fit his strengths his skill set yeah. as a basketball player that's so, why
2: you need rob Finney.
0: right and so those criticisms of al in part he's in a position to not succeed you know yeah. but he still has to get better too because he's the guy running it right now so yeah it's there's you know there's nuance there's there. layers like to it there us. are layers to it and there's no simple answer except for you know rob Finney come back and just guard all three ball handlers he can do that right um I know you need to get out of here. Can you take another question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I got 10 minutes. Um, okay, so from JD, he says, I like predictive analytics, but do we overrate their importance game to game, especially early in the season? Teams can definitely get better or at least play on the higher end. Nebraska being the obvious example, do we occasionally forget that these are games played by human beings, not robots? Yes. I've thought about this a lot since the yes. Nebraska game, Actually, actually.
2: These are human beings, and also early in the season, predictive analytics, the sample size is small. So... You know, I mean, nobody knew that Nebraska had the ability to come out and nail that many three pointers or do whatever they did because they hadn't shown it yet. That doesn't mean they can't do it. So I, I think that on a on a year-long trend, predictive analytics are pretty good. Yeah. Game to game, anything can happen. You know, on a, but again, trends you 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 but it's always funny when Ken Palm says like, you know, IU is favored to win by six or whatever, and people take that to the bank. It's like, no, no, no by predictive analytics say that that, but who knows what's going to happen during the day? You know, I mean, a guy could get hurt during the game or a guy could, you know, just have a bad day. His girlfriend could break up with him the night before and he doesn't get any sleep. And then he comes out and misses all the shots. I mean, these are human beings. And so I think that looking at it on a game-to-game basis is kind of, you can get a sense, but you can't predict things on it. Year-long, the trends, I think, are very, very valuable, though. Yeah.
0: it As I said, I've thought about this a lot since the Nebraska game, you know, because we entered that with a certain set of expectations because Nebraska was sub 150 and they hadn't really been playing well. And so you look at it and you set your your baseline kind of expectation for what's going to be success at a certain point. You know, and it's funny, like I saw a couple of people tweet that they had you know, taken their kids to the game and you see these pictures of these like six, seven year old kids going to the game. And I was thinking, you know, I was like, man, back when I was going to the games with my dad, if I'd gone to this game, I would have been ecstatic that Indiana won had fun watching a really exciting game. And I wouldn't have thought about the fact that, you know, well, Indiana didn't play very well because Nebraska isn't a good team. And granted, that would have been an overly simplistic way to look at it. I'm not saying that some of the critiques of Indiana aren't warranted, they are. But as I reflect on how we approach that post-game show, I will say one thing I wish we had done more of is acknowledge that the game didn't go how we expected, how we wanted, you know, either our expectations or even the coaches' and the players' expectations. It went totally haywire, and that team still rallied together and found a way to win it, and that should have been given
2: more credit. because Relying it w- on its two most important players, too, if you yeah, notice that. And, and, and that's how often have, you know, Finnessy and Trace Jackson Davis spent time on the court together this yeah. year, let alone led Indiana to a win. I thought that was the biggest development for me in that overtime was that Rob Finnessy took over, and so did Trace Jackson Davis. I mean, those were the two guys that yeah. they relied on and that Demezi Anderson
0: was a gold jersey winner on the court at the end of the game and made hustle plays and made free yeah. throws you know like so that's the thing and and so i think that's what's important to keep in mind on an individual game basis you know anything can happen and you've got to go with the game that was played now yes in a macro sense you want to look at the trends and that's something that we try and do here is how do how did what we saw tonight project forward and what improvements need to be made and all of those things and i think those are totally fair angles to take But I I do agree with some of those folks who have pointed out that, you know, more credit should have been given for winning the damn game, because ultimately that's the name of the game. And that game went haywire. And it's, you know, so many warts, but they won. And there was a
2: Big Ten win. Good things to take out of it. So, yeah, you bank a Big Ten win. You sure that's I mean, that's what you take away from it. And you take away all the negative play that you're going to put on film and get to learn from um, but yeah, anytime you can get it, anytime you get a win in the big 10, I know this is not 1970, 1980s, Indiana, this conference is a lot tougher top to bottom than it used to be. Just, there's more talent, there's better coaching, there's all of that stuff and there's more money involved, which means that you're going to get better coaching, better, you know, develop player development systems, everything, everywhere. And so games are tougher on a night-to-night basis than they used to be when all of the recruits were concentrated at 12 schools. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's a different world. So it, th- these games are going to be tough every night, and I think the Big Ten Conference is a lot deeper than people thought it would be at the beginning of the year. I think they thought the top, about six, would be real good. And now we're looking at a situation where the bottom feeders are beating the top-tier teams early in the season, and p- people are shocked.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now, Hoosiers better play better it, oh, because they I, it's, play better. it's definitely fair that I think if they had played that way against 12 other Big Ten teams, they'd probably lose. Sure. If they play that way Saturday, they're going to lose to Notre Dame. So hopefully lessons are learned, guys play better, you know, to the extent that fatigue from the New York trip was an issue. And I've actually had a lot of people tell me that that is pretty legitimate in this case. Obviously, you have a, a whole week here to get past that. So let's go you know yeah, that was a
2: quick turnaround i didn't turnaround. think about that because it was a friday game i yeah. it felt like a saturday for some reason for me on friday so i didn't yeah and they consider. didn't they didn't get
0: in until 5 a.m i guess that next day no. so i've i kind of dismissed that initially but i've actually had some people say no it was actually well, and somewhat legitimate sem- in this case
2: it's the end of the semester too so yeah. there's a lot going on
0: yep um last question for you ryan uh any theories on all the upsets and close calls in college basketball
2: I just think that there's more parody than ever. I mean, yeah. and, I mean, it's it sounds a really cheap thing to say, but it's so true. There just is, and and here's the numbers the deal. back
0: it up. Like even if you look at the Ken yeah. Pom adjusted efficiency uh, margins, they're all like closer together. There's usually a wider margin from the top to you know whatever number you're going to look at. It's just clustered here's th- together more.
2: Here's the thing: twenty twenty-five years ago, there were about two dozen teams that regularly got their games on national television. Now every game is on national television somewhere it's easier to recruit somewhere when you could say, Hey, we're one of 24 teams that, you know, has this game. You'll get exposure on national television. You'll get this, you'll get that, that you won't get at other schools. Well, you can't do that anymore. And so there are guys who, you know, and also there's more highlighting of recruiting talent also. I mean, you know, you've, you've guys ranked into the five hundreds in, in recruiting rankings. I mean, in football, it goes into the two thousands, you know, I mean, it's, you're finding more talent. They're mining this talent that wouldn't have gotten a scholarship 20 years ago. Um, so, what you're seeing is you're seeing a lot of schools invest in athletics, invest in player development, invest in those things. And you're seeing very low tier schools, you're seeing you know, 200 level teams with teams full of recruited players or transfers or whatever who've been at big schools. And you're also seeing them, those players then getting developed and getting to play on national television and and being invested in the program as opposed to maybe years ago, they would just kind of it would almost be like a glorified rec team, you know? So you're seeing just a depth of talent and a depth of coaching and a depth of development that you're not that you weren't seeing 20 years ago. And that's the difference, is that also these kids you know, instead of playing just their 30 high school games a year, they're playing 200 games a year and they're playing in weird places. They're traveling all over the place. So when they have to travel to go on the road to North Carolina or something like that, they're used to traveling and playing. It's not like this is this odd, crazy thing to get to go, you know, play in another state and, and, and face really good competition. They've been doing that in AAU for years. And and so I just think that there's less of a, less of a, a curve that that falls off after the top 50, 75 teams than there used to be. It's more of a steady, slow decline. And those teams on a good night can jump up and catch those top tier teams anytime. So yeah. I, I just think it's, you know, we're, if you're looking for why this didn't used to happen, that's why it's, it's that these kids are playing top tier basketball for years before they get the chance to play in college. Whereas they used to just play, you know, when I was, when I was playing, we played our 30 high school games and we played some travel games. but We played them around California. We never left the state to play basketball. And that was, you know, 20 years ago. It wasn't that long ago. And, and so this has completely changed the way that, you know, people play basketball and people, the way that kids develop. And, um, so yeah, I think that has a lot to do with it. And I think the exposure these guys get at a, you know, again, when a team goes into North Carolina, it's not like, they're not used to being on TV they're, Every game they play is almost certainly on TV. Yeah. So again, I, I just think that there's a lot of, uh, these kids are way more prepared for that kind of stuff than they were years ago. Where do you, where do you think the, the difference is?
0: Oh, I absolutely agree with everything you just said. I, I think you're I think you're spot on. I just think there's a lot more parity. I don't think the elite teams, quote unquote, by like the the number next to their name in the <laughs> rankings are as elite and there's just not that big of a difference.
2: Well, and, and- think about this the teams that bring in like tons of five star players are typically expecting to lose most of those players after one year. So you're you have a bunch of talented, high level freshmen who've never played together versus some of these smaller teams who are coming in with seniors and juniors who have played yeah. together for several years who may be far less talented but, but less are better volatile. Play, <laughs> but are playing but are better playing together yeah. you know and so it's it's that talent versus an actual team thing and you know I, I, i'm surprised that we're surprised at some of the results, you know, when you think about it. Yeah. So, but that's why teams in the tournament, you know, high, that's why high talent teams with young players sometimes lose early in the tournament to Duke. lower level veteran teams, you know?
0: Yep. All right. I know you have to go uh, Thursday. I send the car radio. You and I will not be there, uh, but we will be back Saturday for the IU Notre Dame postgame show.
2: Yeah, who's replacing us? We're, we're getting, uh, so I think coach
0: is hosting tentatively. <clears throat> Galen uh, Clavio from Crimson Cast is scheduled to be on. I thought it would be good to get his insight on Fred Glass leaving. Hopefully Makes Kroger sense. does not have any sales on brisket or ribs between now he'll and be then because Done. Yeah, then then he'll we'll get we'll get blown off so that he can cook and post post about it on social media. <laughs> or maybe he'll make cookies. I don't know. Now we love we love uh, Galen. I've actually learned a lot about cooking from him. Oh hopefully, you have. Hopefully. Well, yeah,
2: he posts about it on social media all the time. No, I mean i mean, but you've I'd, used it instead of just entertainment. You've actually gathered. Yeah, something.
0: like I try to actually, you know, I try to learn something and, and use it. How's it worked? Fine. I mean, oh, I'm doing well. I'm, yeah, I'm not that good of a cook. So any tip that I can get, I'm very happy about.
2: <laughs> I'm a horrible, which is so funny because my mom is like writes cookbooks and is yeah. like this you know, nationally famous Cooking person. She's Your mom a chef. and
0: Galen should do a podcast together. They I really bet that would should. be an entertaining conversation.
2: They'll meet at the meetup. Yeah. So maybe we'll just, just put colliding. them in
0: the corner. They can talk cooking.
2: Yeah. We'll talk brisket. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk basketball. Uh
0: okay, last question for you if you have time from Joel. Sure. He's going to see Archie today uh for the, the radio show. for the radio show. Do you have a question for him?
2: Um Compared to where you thought you'd be at this point of the year, with how your team's playing defense, where are you? Like, like, are you where you thought you'd be defensively? I well, think that's
0: you know he's going to say no. He's already said that over and over. Do you want to probe a little deeper? Well, like into the why. What is the most? How about this?
2: How about how about this? What is the most disappointing act aspect of your defense right now?
0: Okay, that's good. I would actually be interested to ask him about the play at the end of regulation. And specifically, like when he looked over at the bench, were they trying to figure out like what are they going to do, or do they have a set strategy for whether to foul, whether or not that they like the two point
2: conversion card or something? Yeah, but
0: I just want to know like do they have something that they've practiced Um, because it just it felt like there was some confusion there, and it seemed like he acknowledged that in his post game. I would just like to know the actual philosophy and if it's something they've specifically worked on for those moments, or if you know they were kind of caught with that as something they just hadn't installed yet. I'd be That's a good to one. That.
2: Joel, you got two options. Yep.
0: Two options. Absolutely. All right, man. All right, buddy. Uh, should we talk, should we talk Josh Allen now or later?
2: We'll save that. <laughs> it just turned down to the fact that what we consider good. That's yeah, really the yeah, difference. I
0: know. It's, it, that's funny, though, when you have a conversation and it's 20 tweets later and you're like, oh, this is just a semantic difference. Okay. <laughs> good night. <laughs>
2: <laughs> just wasted an hour of my life <laughs> on this.
0: Uh, okay, everybody. Uh, Coach, Andy, and hopefully Galen will be there with you on Thursday, and then Ryan, and I'll be back to talk with you after the IU Notre Dame game. Sounds good. Later, guys. Yep. See y'all.
1: To remind pet owners that Progressive covers pets on our auto policy at no extra charge, we're making a really cute pet-themed radio commercial. You gotta see this dog. It's a little puffball. It
0: looks like a piece of cotton candy that I could just eat up. Oh, and it waddles when it walks. He's a little ducky dog. Oh, I wish you could see it. We really should have planned this better. Get coverage for your pets with an auto policy from Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Coverage for cats and dogs included with the purchase of collision coverage and is subject to policy terms.